Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hello. Today on the podcast, I interview Aaron Wiseman, who is a family medicine physician, life coach, podcaster, and author. She has a podcast called Dr. Me First and can be found at truthprescriptions.com, which is truthrxs.com. Erin and I have a really interesting conversation about where imposter syndrome has come up for her, which has not only been in medicine, but also been in her early and even advanced days as an entrepreneur. Enjoy. Hi, Erin. I'm so excited that you are on my podcast. How are you? I'm good. It's so great to finally be here with you, Kristen. Yes, All the yes. listeners need to know we've been like coordinating calendars for, I don't know, like a whole pregnancy. <laughs> I know, like three months or something ridiculous. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, waited for a long time. So you have, you're doing some really awesome things and I want to hear about how imposter syndrome has crept in in all of the ways. Oh my God. Yes. So even though like externally, it looks like Aaron Wiseman is kicking ass, taking names, imposter syndrome has huge undercurrents. So like going as far back as like, so I'm a DO and getting into like third and fourth year clinical rotations and being like, I really felt the imposter syndrome there of being like, do I even belong in this room? Because like, am I as smart as the MD colleagues? Like, what are they going to think that I'm just like some bone popping crazy type thing? And so I remember even even thinking like, do I belong here? The, the imposter syndrome stories that I really want to talk about are my more like recent ones, mm-hmm. which would be making that transition from, okay, I'm going to be a full-time clinical doc, like this is what I was made to do, and realizing that no, actually it's a very non-traditional path. And having a lot of imposter syndrome about like, do I really even deserve this? Can I do this? And really what has been the catalyst for me um, has been coaching tools. It has been like really digging into being like, okay, is this feeling fact or just an emotion? And then identifying like not making the feeling go away, not making the imposter syndrome go away, but really sitting with it and being like, what is this showing me? Or perhaps maybe there's a lesson that I need to sit here and learn with this. So when I was first starting my coaching business, I remember looking around and at that time, like the big players were um, Dyke Drama with the Happy MD and a couple other people. And I was like, oh my God, there's no room for me in the space. Mm-hmm. This was like 2015, by the way. So like five years ago, before there were a lot of physician coaches. In the mm-hmm. space. And I remember seeing, sitting back and being like, is my coaching training good enough? Like, am I going to be able to help people? All I am is just some family medicine doctor in no name, Southern Indiana, who has this great idea that she's going to help people with burnout. Like, who am I to do that? I remember literally it taking me a week to like buy my website domain Mm. because of sitting and fighting with that of like, oh my God, this is the most important decision of my life. I've got to get this right. (laughs) And now like hindsight's 2020, you know, I'm rebranding. I'm totally changing all of the stuff that I started with five years ago. And like looking at it now, of course, like we laugh at it, like, no, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But when you're in the middle of kind of that tornado, that thought tornado spinning Mm -hmm. of imposter syndrome, it does feel like a really big deal. And so like learning to sit with that and to be like, okay, this feels like a big deal now, but probably in the future, it's going to feel different. 
So if I can just hang with it now and see like, what is this trying to teach me? And what I learned in that moment was that what it was trying to teach me is that this was a really, really big passion project of mine. Mm -hmm. This felt like something that was going to be really, barely big and important. And I really just didn't want to F it up. Yeah. But knowing that like I had to do something to get that passion moving and getting Mm -hmm. it out into the world, I think continues to be the pattern that I use. So recently I've started getting more international clients and I needed to set up an international bank account. So I was like, Sounds oh scary. my God, like, how do I do this? Yeah, exactly. Like, who am I that I get an international bank account? And so like it, flipping the question, questioning the question and being like, well, who are you, Aaron freaking Wiseman, mm-hmm. that you get to have an international bank account? And I'm like, well, I'm the person that sometimes gets paid in pounds or gets paid in Australian dollars or gets paid in any other types of currencies like euros or pesos. Like, you're that person now. So you, you get to own that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of looking at imposter syndrome in that way and questioning and being like, no, actually, Let's sit back and talk about that. And one of the best examples that I use with my clients when imposter syndrome creeps up is like, all right, let's pretend that we're having a conversation with your very best friend right now. What would they tell you to your face? You know your best friend would jump all over your ass and be like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You are a big deal. You are doing these things. Get on the phone with a banking expert and have them help you set up a GD international bank account. (laughs) And when I did that for myself, I was like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I need to do. But I think imposter syndrome, it keeps us small, it keeps us isolated, and it keeps us scared. And so if you can attack it from those three ways of like, okay, how is this keeping me small? How is this keeping me scared? And how is this keeping me isolated? And you formulate good, high quality solutions around those, you can break through that. And the cool thing is on the other side, like, The imposter, she never really goes away. Like her voice is still there, Mm -hmm. but the volume gets turned down because then you start having a whole file folder full of victories, full of successes, full of like, yeah, I do deserve to sit in this space. I do deserve to be at the head of the table. I do deserve to put my name in front of everyone else's because I've done the work. I did the hard things. I put my name on the line. And so now five years later, I get to be that hashtag lady boss. Mm-hmm. So there's so many th- good things that you said that I want to touch on. Um, the first thing is the DO thing. I've, I get it. And I still think, unfortunately, even though the culture of medicine has changed, there's still that concern about DO physicians, which is wrong, as you know. <laughs> um, the next thing is that you said, look at the lesson. What is this trying to tell you? And I think that's so, so important because I think so often if we're not taught to question all these things that pop up, we assume that it's coming from a place of, oh, I really must not deserve this instead of questioning it and saying like, what does this mean? Like, where can I grow from here? So I love that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the, the other thing I said, so we can kind of, I'll list all the things and then you can talk about, we can dive deep. But the aspect that you said, like you at the point where you were in your clinical career and you wanted to make a change and it was scary for you. And even like the first small steps felt huge, but you did it anyway. That's been a game changer for me as well. So can we talk about that? Like what would it have happened if you didn't take those steps? You know? I know. It's amazing to me. So celebrating my five-year anniversary this year, I think about that. I think about if like, if I had continued to compare my beginnings to other people's middles, Mm -hmm. I would have not got to middles. 
it would have stayed in the beginning step. And there are so many books written. There are so many pieces of art. There are so many songs that are never published and put out into the world because people just didn't do it, just <laughs> didn't put it out. Something stopped them, be it imposter syndrome or be it fear or be it lack or scarcity. And so that's what I really have learned is the perfectionist in me wants to have it 100% tidied up perfect. Mm -hmm. But the, the entrepreneur and the creative soul in me knows that average is fine mm -hmm. because it's going to get better. So a cool exercise I did for my five-year anniversary is I went back to like an old laptop that I had initially used when I first mm -hmm. started my business. And I like pulled up like the little social media things I had written and like the blog posts and like all the things. And I was like, wow, these are bad. <laughs> <laughs> these are not very good at all. <laughs> was my first thought. Initially, you know, I went totally into critique mode. Yeah. But then the next thing that I noticed is like my core message of you are not alone, change is possible, burnout does not define you, and you are not broken, were already, they were already in those like key documents that mm -hmm. I started five years ago and how they've translated through and blossomed. And it was like, those were the initial seeds that I was planting in the ground and I had no idea what they were going to bloom and blossom into. But if I had just left those seeds in the package... If I hadn't watered them, if I hadn't transplanted them into new soils and like tried things and done different things, they would have never come and they would have never produced. So true. And I think that's where I would just encourage everyone who's listening is like, just start. Just put it out there. Just start knowing that it's going to get better. And that too many times we get stuck in our heads of like, it has to be perfect from the very, very beginning. But like that goes against everything that this world is made on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's we have first drafts. Like you just start with the shitty first draft and you refine it and you refine it yeah. and you refine it. And I mean, that's honestly where my book initially came out with. So I wrote it and I was like, okay, like, and I got somebody to look over it. And they, of course, like got the red pencil out and really mm -hmm. like, tore it up and tore it up. And I thought, okay, now it's ready. Yeah. And I put it out into the world and I sold two copies. And I was like, I'm an utter failure. And so I took the file down off the website and was like, all right, put that away. And as I was building a team in 2019, my content strategist, she was like, you wrote a book? Where is it? And I was like, ah, this is, and she was like, no, <laughs> like get it out. Mm -hmm. And we got it out. We refined it again. We cleaned it up and we got it on Kindle. And then from Kindle, then I got picked up by a publisher. Yeah. And now it's like distributed all over the place. I just got a check from Amazon for book sales in um, the UK. That's and awesome. So, you know, it's one of those things that I did it. I did the thing and I put it out there. But then also, then I started to play small again. Like, oh, but it didn't do very good. So that must mean that I'm a failure and that, that I can't write a book that works for people. When in actuality, I think it was just a timing thing. Mm -hmm. it was just It wasn't its time yet. So another thing I want to mention, which you've said kind of tangentially, but I want to bring it back is that really, if you hadn't done all the amazing things that you started to do, like all the women really that you wouldn't have been able to help. 
And I think for physicians, that can really speak to us because this is a service career. And if we are able to take a moment when we're feeling at our lowest and focus outward and say, who can I serve here? That can get you over the hump. And that must be really amazing for you to think about, like all of these people that you helped who wouldn't have been able to flourish if you had you know, held yourself back all those years ago. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing to sit back and think just even today. So I ran two different group courses and then did some one-on-one calls before we jumped on here. And I would say almost every single one of those people were because I started the podcast. Yeah. The podcast was never in the original like business structure. Mm-hmm. It was really off of a like, I feel jealous because other people have podcasts. <laughs> I want a podcast. Is And I leaned into the jealousy, honestly. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. If you go back and listen to like the first 10 episodes, I'm at episode 217 now. Wow. But if you go back and listen to the, like, you can tell, like, I'm nervous. The sound quality is terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. But even through that, I've received emails. I've received PMs, DMs from people who are like, hey, I listened to this episode and it made my day. Or, hey, I listened to your kicks of encouragement and it's what gets me through my week. Mm -hmm. Or you don't know this because we've never met, but I have listened to every single one of your episodes twice. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those are the things that I stick up on my wall here in front of me and on those bad days, because we all have them. I look at it as my evidences of like, no, you are showing up to the world, not just for yourself, not just because you like to get on a microphone and talk. You are showing up to the world because you are actually helping people. Mm -hmm. You don't even know their name. Yeah. And I think this is so important for physicians who are, you know, in clinical practice and feeling like, you know, is this is this really it? Is this all there is? Because for me, you know, I haven't been in quite as long as you. I'm just, just now branching outside of my, you know, my clinical career. But the amount that it's changed my lookout at everything and my ability to care for women and care for myself, you know, just with that, per- like decreasing the standards and, you know, striving for excellence, but not demanding perfection is, is a huge huge, having a growth mindset, like all of these things that as physicians are not, they don't seem to be compatible, but for a sustainable career, they're required, but we just don't know it. Well, and I think it's really looking on how you're judging success. Mm -hmm. Because if you're judging success by your RVUs or by how many good patient satisfaction notes you get or how many Atta girls that you get at work, like you will never be fulfilled. You Mm -hmm. never will be satisfied. So that's why I think it's really important and what entrepreneurship has helped me practice better clinically is to remind myself of like, no, what are the real measures of success? And so for me, that's can I walk out the door today and know that I've done the best job that I can do with the resources that I have? Not play the what if game, not play, I'm just busting my butt to get out the door. But did I really show up and do the best work that I can today in the space that I'm in with the resources that I have? Of course, we all would like more resources. So I think it's really digging into that as well. And and then also realizing through um, what I've learned as a coach and what I teach as a coach is like, it's not just all on me. This is a relationship. The other person is totally whole. They are not broken and I can help them be accountable, but I don't have to be enabling. Mm-hmm. And for me as a primary care doc, like that's super important to remember and so important to say sustainable in our careers is like, we don't have to be the superhero God complex mm-hmm. robots. We just got to show up and do the best work that we can. And then we also have to give the responsibility over back to our patients, back to our staff, back to our leadership to say, okay, now it's your turn. 
Mm -hmm. I've done absolutely the best that I can do. I can do no more. And knowing like that that line is, what is like the sustainable line of doing my good work? And what is the overextended burnout line Mm -hmm. of doing my full work? Yeah. So how has coaching and becoming an entrepreneur changed your practice or how you look at medicine? It has changed it from the fact of I realize that it's not my job's responsibility to make me happy. Mm-hmm. It's my responsibility. And also that I do have choice in the matter. For so long in clinical medicine, I was drifting a lot around like life was happening to me. Medicine was happening to me. My office flow and schedule was happening to me. And that's really where I got super burned out because I lost that autonomy factor. And so what coaching reminds me is that like, no, you have autonomy. You always have choice. Mm-hmm. Thank God we live in a country where we can say no. Now, it does have consequences, but very, very, very rarely does that consequence mean like someone's taking my firstborn or threatening to cut off my right arm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what coaching has done the most for me is just reminding me in every circumstance, I have choice. Even if that choice feels really, really hard to walk away or to say no or to say yes, I still have the choice in the matter. Yeah, And then the other thing that coaching has done for me in my career in medicine is really allowed me to say, what if I worked a point to FTE? What if I don't ever pick up a stethoscope again? What if I go back to full time? What if I start delivering babies again? What if I started teaching residents? What if I worked in a jail? What if I did telemedicine? Like coaching really helped me get out of the box of like, this is how we do it. This is how you have to do it. Mm -hmm. This is the quote unquote right way. And it really helped me to say like, maybe it isn't. And so coaching really helped me get out of the binary black and white Mm -hmm. and to really be comfortable living in the gray. Now it's not always fun. But getting comfortable with the uncomfortable has made it a lot easier to have difficult conversations with my family, with my patients, with my residents. It's also helped me to know that like I can only control so much mm-hmm. and letting go of the things, not letting go as in like just it leaves my mind and I have no anxiety and I can sleep perfectly every single night, but not like white knuckling the grip that like yeah. it has to go this way or life will fall apart. And instead of just like holding it loosely in my hand and saying like, even if everything falls apart, I still know what I have control of and what, what I can do in this situation. And that changes everything. Just knowing that. And that, that's something that I'm dealing with now is that I have been white knuckling it and I love that control and that certainty. But when you know in your heart that you can control what is going on in your head and that you can grow through anything, then nothing seems quite as scary. And like you said, I mean, people have bad days, but when you know that you can get through it because you've got you, then it changes everything. You know, the other thing as you're talking, it makes me think of is like, I never really learned good emotional intelligence through Mm -hmm. medical education. Like who knew like what EI was. And so now like learning to sit with my feelings, like name my feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, my kids have this feeling charts upstairs. I think I use it more sometimes than I do. (laughs) But like sitting with that and being like, there's nothing wrong. You are not broken by having emotions. You are a human having a human experience. And like just sitting with those and most emotions, you know, are done and gone somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then like understanding that an emotion signaling to you is typically a need either met or yeah. not met. And realizing like no longer do I have to neglect my own needs. Mm-hmm. Like I get to have emotions and guess what? I get to have needs too. And I get to take care of those needs and that's not selfish and that's not wrong. And actually when I'm taken care of, like I take care of people so much better. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I always like to end with asking your advice for someone right now who's struggling with imposter syndrome. I think the first thing is talking to somebody about it. Just like Mm -hmm. having that real like heart to heart, open, open, eye to eye and being like, this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I'm feeling. And being in that trusted safe space with somebody who gets you and who can say, yeah, I've been there too. You're not alone, and this does not define you. Be that a friend, a colleague, a coach, a therapist, a faith leader. Like, But just finding that safe space to deconstruct this thought module that really has been like programmed into our head and to see it for what it is, I think is so very important because the person who's listening to this, she is probably obviously just so brilliant and intelligent. And if she could have figured it out, she would have by now. Mm-hmm. It would have been done. And so this is a circumstance that I really think having another person is just so critical to mm-hmm. start approaching it. So that's what For my sure. advice would be is like, find a person, talk to them about it. I prefer the coaching arena and I will always advocate that everyone needs a coach. I don't I care agree. who they are. Like yeah. you go get you a coach. Mm-hmm. And I still participate in it regularly. I figure I have to take my own medicine mm-hmm. and I know I'm healthy and I'm better when I can come into a call and know that that person is going to hold safe space for me. They're going to show me what my thoughts are perhaps perpetuating. They're going to show me some alternatives and they're going to help me get clarity on my situation. And then ultimately I have the choice on how I proceed forward. That's awesome. And are you always accepting new clients or how does it work to work with you? Yeah. You know, I've gotten super busy, which is like a good, bad problem, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I do still take one-on-one clients. But the biggest thing that I'm really loving is doing group coaching. So my group right now is called Burnt Out to Badass. It's a 13-week program where we work through what I feel like are the like most high-yield topics that we must confront to get out of burnout and back into our badass selves because there's a badass in every single one of us. And so, yeah, jumping into um, those groups, they start quarterly. So we start a new one each quarter and it's just been so fun to really dig into that because in the group setting, which is one-on-one has a great place and I totally advocate for that. But the cool thing about the group is you really start to form that that core community mm-hmm. of people who get you, who are like you, who though they have a different experience, you can see yourself in their story. And I think that is really powerful to help you move forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Erin. It was so awesome talking to you. I'm glad we finally did this (laughs) months after the plan. (laughs) No worries. I'll come back anytime. You know that. Awesome. Thank you so much. You have a good night.